I've been given indications that the team is gonna gonna make Joe Jimenez available uh, at the mm-hmm. deadline this year. In going forward, I think that he's a very interesting guy because he's still got mm-hmm. four or five years of team control left. He was an All Star last year. There's more in there. He just hasn't tapped uh, tapped into it. April 23rd version of the Red Sox Beat Podcast on CLNS Media. I'm your host, Chris Cotillo, working here for CLNS Media, which is the leading online provider of video and audio for Major League Baseball. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. That is the preferred sportsbook of CLNS Media. So today's episode 213 will be joined a little bit later by Anthony Fennick of the Detroit Free Press. We'll talk a little bit about the Tigers who are in here in Boston for a four-game series this week to start a 10-game homestand for the Red Sox. It's been obviously a very busy week in Red Sox Nation, which I wanted to talk about before we got Anthony on here. Um, a lot of moves, a lot of news. I think, you know, from a writer's perspective, it's more news and more drama, more excitement than we saw really at a lot of points last season. They were kind of running over teams last year for most of it. We didn't have these types of roster decisions, roster moves, really not that significant of injuries last year. So a lot to get to uh, before we bring Anthony on. So I think when we talked last week with uh, Brendan Cuddy and Chris Smith, uh, Brendan from NJ.com, who covers the Yankees, Chris Smith, my partner at MassLive.com, we were talking about you know Red Sox team that had stumbled and, and was going into the Bronx. And, and when, as soon as they got to the Bronx, they made kind of a, a huge move, um, relatively huge move, where they designated Blake Swihart for assignment, and they were brought up Sandy Leone after the pitching staff had struggled for so much of the early season. I think you know it was a move that was big only because of the debate that's been going for so long. We've seen this now for over a full year of if Swihart was going to make the roster, if Leone was going to make the roster. Dustin Pedroia's injury last year allowed them to carry three catchers for the entire season. They said at the outset of the winter that they weren't going to do that again this year. And they decided after really debating it all through spring training uh, that they were going to go with Blake Swihart to begin the season. Sandy Leone cleared waivers, obviously, and then um, he was sent to Pawtucket. Things didn't work out with the pitching staff, and the Red Sox changed course. Really called a mulligan on themselves just you know two, three weeks into the season, and Swihart was designated for assignment, eventually traded to Arizona, where he's reunited with a couple of familiar faces, Mike Hazen, Tori Lavolo, and Leone is now up to be paired with Christian Vasquez. So my thoughts on this, and I think, you know, I've disagreed with a lot of different people on the beat and obviously disagree with the Red Sox on how they handled all this, but I think the guy the Red Sox should have looked into moving or, you know, trying to trade or or eating some of the salary to make it happen is Christian Vasquez. I'm not as high on Vasquez offensively as a bunch of people are. I think, you know, if you had Swihart who could get regular at-bats along with Leon, who is going to be a defensive contributor no matter what in handling this pitching staff, I thought that was a really good way for the team to go about things. I think that should have been, you know, really in the mix. And instead, they went with kind of a system where they said, Vasquez is going to be the guy. He's going to be on the roster for sure. And then we're going to decide between Leon and Swihart. I don't think that that was really the most prudent move. I think they should have considered moving Vasquez. But I will give the Red Sox credit for, you know, calling that mulligan. It's It would have been very easy for this team to say, all right, we already committed to this move. It looks bad if we reverse course so quickly, and it really would be tough on Swihart, tough on Leone, and and everything. But they said, you know, we have a problem with the pitching staff. We think this minor tweak's going to help. That's what it was, a minor tweak that really made big headlines just because of the saga, and finally, you know, it came to an end, uh, the catching thing. But 
it was a minor move that, you know, I think for them, it is something that, that could pay off. Sale looked a lot more comfortable with Leon behind the plate the other night in New York. Um, and I think that, you know, we're seeing steps for him moving forward and uh, getting back to a guy who doesn't think that he's flat out embarrassing to quote his family, his team, and the fans, which I think was, was some brutal honesty, but um, maybe an overreaction from a guy that I don't think four starts really define his career. Later in the week, a few big injuries for the Red Sox. We'll get to Nathan Avaldi in a second, but this rash of second base injuries, you had Dustin Pedroia come back, not look like himself at all, uh, struggling, and then comes out of the game in New York. Brock Holt still dealing with that scratched cornea in his eye. They can't seem to find a contact lens. And then Eduardo Nunez, who was trying to play through a back strain, ends up going on the injured list as well. So it has been brutal for Red Sox second baseman. They said they're comfortable with the depth they had there. Well, it's being tested now because you have options A, B, and C all out. They made two very, uh, one expected move, one unexpected move on Friday. They called up Zue Lin, who's going to get the bulk of the time at second base, and Michael Chavis, who is the top prospect that, you know, I think when people say could inject some life into this club, he came up on Friday in their 3-0 sense. So he had a big double on Saturday, struggled Sunday, but... You know, why not? Why not give a kid with that much offensive potential a chance? He's been on the minors for a while now. Like I said, Lynn will be playing the majority of second until those guys come back. Really unclear which of those three is going to be back first. Holt with that setback yet again. He's been out for over two weeks now dealing with that scratch cornea. The Instagram famous Griff Holt, his son scratched him, and they haven't been able to get him to a point where he can see spin rate. They had to pause the rehab assignment and everything. Hasn't gone as quickly as I think a lot of people would have anticipated. Eduardo Nunez perpetually banged up with the back, and now Pedroia. They say he's fine. He doesn't look it. You know, he looks like a shell, obviously, of the guy that we saw winning an MVP, winning a Rookie of the Year, and being you no know, franchise second baseman. So we'll see how quickly he comes back. The Red Sox are comfortable with Lynn at second, and Chavis can, you know, provide some offense. So somehow we're dealing now with a Zue Lynn, Michael Chavis platoon at second base. I think the Red Sox would tell you before the season a lot would have to go wrong for that to happen. But could be a blessing in disguise for a team that was getting zero production out of that position anyway. None of those guys were hitting. Pedroia, definitely not. Nunez uh, wasn't. And Holt, when he was on the field, was something like 1 for 16, couldn't see the ball. So um, maybe, you know, an unexpected lift, as we've seen that weekend series in Tampa. Chavis gave them a big hit on Saturday. So we'll see. And then, you know, the big news comes down Saturday. I think this was the most surprising out of all this stuff, even though all of it was pretty surprising. Nathan Avaldi placed on the 10-day disabled list with loose bodies in his right elbow. And I think that's a, that's a nebulous term that us non-doctors don't really understand that much, but I guess it's scar tissue or, or bone spurs or something that's floating around in that elbow. And it's been an elbow that's been obviously problematic for Evaldi throughout his career. He's a guy that had Tommy John surgery in high school, had it again uh, with the Yankees, and, and now uh, was healthy, came back last year with the Rays, dealt with this at the end of spring training, a couple of loose bodies. They took him along slowly because they wanted to make sure he was going to be fine in his recovery from Tommy John surgery, but it did set him back two months. Once he came back, he was healthy, uh, and that's, you know, we, we saw what happened in October. I think a few things that, you know, I've seen on Twitter in the last few days that I think are a little bit off base on Evaldi. Uh, who I'm a fan of, and I was a fan of the trade. I was a fan of the signing, four-year, $68 million in December. One, the Rays didn't win the trade because Nathan Avaldi has loose bodies in his elbow. He's a guy that, you know, they got Jalen Beek, so I'm not that high on. He's a guy who could be, you know, back-end major league starter, but has not shown that to this point. 
Ivaldi basically was the postseason MVP for the Red Sox, even though that award, award doesn't exist. He was lights out down the stretch, pitched really well against the Yankees. He steps up for big games. And he's a guy that they expected to have as a rental. And they turned that into a guy they're going to have now for four years if he's healthy. I think, you know, the Red Sox, I always assess that if they win the trade based on, you know, what that guy does in contributing to a World Series title. That's why I will always say the Red Sox won the Chris Sale trade no matter what happens with Moncada, with Kopech, with those guys. I think it's it's a done deal. Chris Sale won a World Series, you win the trade. I don't think... You know, it's it's impossible to say the White Sox can't also be winners of the trade because those guys, we've seen what Moncada's done this year. But uh, from the Red Sox perspective, you'd make that trade over and over again. Another thought on Evaldi, that four-year, $68 million deal. I think people, you know, say, why would you sign him to that deal if you knew that he was going to have injury risks? Every pitcher is an injury risk. Chris Sale just got $145 million. He's an injury risk. We've seen that with the shoulder last year. Evaldi has had these types of things happen. And, you know, all of a sudden a couple bone spurs or cartilage or something got to a place in his elbow where he couldn't straighten his arm. It's just kind of part of the process and it's the risk you run. But, you know, the big qualifier here is the Red Sox ran these guys through the ringer physically before signing either of these deals. They're not committing $68 million or $145 million without doing every bit of due diligence possible on these guys' arms. And I think, you know, calling them, you know, lazy or how do they not see this, there obviously wasn't any evidence of this when they signed the deal, or maybe they would have had, you know, some reservations. So if all these elbows strong, otherwise, I think it'll be kind of a short absence for him. Um, he said two months last year was just because they took him along slowly from Tommy John. Wouldn't be surprised if it's more of a three week to month long thing here. It comes at a bad time for the Red Sox though, because their starting pitching depth is not necessarily as strong as it was a year ago. Big piece of that is Brian Johnson being on the injured list. He's dealing with left elbow inflammation. We haven't really gotten an update on that in a while from Alex Cora uh, as of this recording on Monday, but um, it seems like it could be a serious thing. They feared it would be season ending at the, at the beginning when it happened. That is not the case, uh, but he's still no baseball activities as of last week. Seems to be far away from, from coming back. And so you turn to a guy in Hector Velasquez, who's thrown the ball well this year, especially in that start in Arizona, three innings where he kept the Red Sox in it, and was was fine. He dealt with some control issues in his second start against Baltimore. He's the guy who I think they'll turn to at this point, just because they don't really have that many other options. Marcus Walden can give them length at the beginning of games, but they don't want to do these bullpen games. They want to have a guy who goes out and throws five innings and gives their bullpen, which has been you know more questioned in the last week than it was when they were struggling earlier in the year, when the rest of the team was struggling. I mean, um, they want to give the bullpen a chance to, to really, you know, pitch six, seven, eight, and nine. So it's been, like I said, busy week. We have uh, a 10-game homestand coming up here with, with all these, you know, teams coming in. The Tigers are not that good. The Rays are, you know, the division leaders, but the Red Sox really uh, won three close games, which is very impressive against them over the weekend. And then Oakland comes in for three games. Uh, which will end the homestand. Oakland's a team that gave the Red Sox trouble winning three to four early in the year. They'll get the season series done with them early on. We're joined today by Anthony Fennick. He covers the Tigers for the Detroit Free Press. Obviously, the Tigers are in this week for a four-game series, and you know I always like on this to kind of get a sense of the opposing team uh, when they come in for a series or the Red Sox go on the road to play them. So, Anthony, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm just uh, sitting here in my hotel room doing some pre-series prep. The 
the Red Sox can get back to 500 this week against the Tigers. I know that would be big. It's uh, it's a long time coming for a team that has been disappointing for most of the season, but a big sweep in Tampa over the weekend, which I'll get to a little later. But tell us about the Tigers that you've been covering. I think, you know, obviously a team that not a lot of people expected to contend this year, but so far sitting at 500, been really up and down, not so good recently. The offense hasn't been great, but uh, what, what your Red Sox fans expect to see here in the next couple of days? Well, they should expect, and this is probably going to be a surprise for Red Sox fans who are used to playing long games, but they should expect some shorter games because the Tigers have been playing quick games uh, all, all season, and the, the main reason is because they just haven't hit much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and coming into the season, I thought, I probably bought a little bit too much into their, their their spring training performances. They looked good offensively, but you know, if you want to rewind to the the offseason, the the offense was a serious concern from from my perspective. There's just not much power in that lineup. Um, they, they they swung the bats well in in Florida, and it it, it kind of changed my tune to you know pitching might be the biggest concern this season and not the mm-hmm. offense. But it's done a complete 180 here early in the season they've been pitching well I, I'd say they'd be pit, they, they've been pitching out of their minds but that kind of dried up about 10 games into the season they've they've mm-hmm. really leveled off here the last 10 games um like you said they're 10 and 10 um but just that they, they haven't been able to get any sort of consistent offense going uh Josh Harrison who I, I still think is going to step up and be a big player for them this year he struggled out of the gate and that's hurt them uh, because Ron Gardner has got him in the leadoff spot Miguel Cabrera looked really good this spring and you know I've I've talked with him off and on here early this season about the differences between spring training and the regular season he's still rounding into form but i'll tell you what chris it doesn't Mm -hmm. that's not what miguel cabrera looks like and and so far we haven't heard of any kind of um injury issues but he's through what 18 19 games without a home run he's not hitting the ball with um his custom authority let's say yeah and i i do think it's starting to look in our in our job um we do our our b rating job i think something that i kind of lean on is a lot of the fans were freaking out about Harrison. When is the when when is Gardy going to move Harrison out of the leadoff role? Well, you know, to me, one of the things that I kind of go by in my job is once you put a headline on something like, "Hey, it's time to move Josh Harrison out of the leadoff spot," then you got to keep following up on it. You got to keep putting headlines on it. We haven't gotten right. to the point where we got to put a, a Cabrera concern headline out mm-hmm. there. We're getting close. Um, this is, I mean, this is a guy who's what thirty six and just came off you know season ending injury last year, so. Um, you know, I don't know if you got, can expect him to be the Miguel Cabrera of old, but you know, the power numbers are down and stuff like that. Definitely cause for concern. Yeah. 36 years old, got what? 150 million more left over the, uh, lifespan of this contract. Mm-hmm. Nick Castellanos, he'll come around. This guy can just hit, but he's also kind of scuffled there at the top of the lineup. So, the, so, so, so Red Sox fans can expect to see not a lot of offense from the Tigers. Um, and that, that's good for a Red Sox pitching staff that obviously has been one of the worst in baseball, at least through so far. It's been a little bit better in the last few days, but um, still waiting for Chris Sale to break out, waiting for Rick Porcello to really take that step. I've had some good starts from Eduardo Rodriguez and David Price, but overall, you know, the Red Sox have been hit hard. So that might be uh, something they need in, in an offense that, you know, I know I saw Goodrum is, is 
hitting pretty well. But good for him. Um, is. He is. He's he, he he's really kind of come into his own as a player, yeah. and and he's taken his his spring training performance into the season. He's got a nice left-handed bat. He gives him a lot of versatility. Um, they they might have found a diamond in the rough there. Yeah, uh, a is he a minor league signing? He was last yeah. year, but I think people mm-hmm. forget that he was a second round pick, mm-hmm. and. I think some of the forces that brought him to Detroit, remember he was with Minnesota and overlapped a little bit with Gardenhire and that staff, and I think they were instrumental in bringing him aboard. Um, nice looking, and I, I don't know if I want to call him a young player. He's mm-hmm. 27, but yep. he's, he's, he's a nice-looking player, Goodrum is. So I think, you know, for a Red Sox team that everybody expects them to straighten this out, be right in the mix. I think, interestingly, the Tigers, there's a ton of familiarity there between you know, Dombrowski and the front office that's left. So if you're looking at you know, who the Tigers could trade, I know we're jumping ahead to July here, but who they could trade, especially out of the bullpen, where I think the Red Sox have some concerns. They have had those concerns since last year at the deadline all winter and October, the whole deal. If they were going to be trading uh, from that bullpen, who are some of the names I've noticed, You know, just kind of looking at the stats before the series, the bullpen's been really good so far, and not really a bunch of names that you'd know. I'm sure it's, it's a bunch of young guys that seem to be performing, but um, definitely, you know, if you can trade a controllable reliever, the Tigers is probably something they're going to want to do because you can get a lot back for those types of guys. How does I, I, I guess I'll follow that up with a quick question for you. How mm-hmm. does how does Red Sox Nation deal with these bullpens? Because in the worst in a, the worst way possible, it it is not a surprise. You know, we had. We had shirts made in Detroit some four or five years ago by a guy that said, my bullpen makes me drink. <laughs> um, it's not a surprise at all that the the Sox have kind of skimped in the bullpen. That's really Dave Dombrowski's M.O. Right. Um, Frontline starters. That's what middle of the- with those, those great teams. I mean, 2013, it's the one that David Ortiz hit that grand slam against Benoit, a reliever, and, and the bullpen collapsed in some of those games in the ALCS. And I think... You know, that's that's what a lot of people think about the Dombrowski not wanting to build the bullpen help then. And now um, it's a lot more concerning now that he's on this side. But, yeah, no, it's it's definitely we saw it this winter. We've seen it over the last year that he's he doesn't want to put dollars there. He doesn't want to trade prospects there. And um, I'm sure Tigers fans are still not happy about that. And I, I can't necessarily disagree with that, with the way that bullpens are so volatile year in and year out. Um, you know, you guys. You guys had Kimbrel last year, and that was—I know he's—he struggled a little bit in the postseason. But it's mm-hmm. you, you just have a different looking bullpen when you got a guy like that in the back, yep. and it—it it, it remains somewhat remarkable that they were able to get those performances out of like Brazier um, to take them to the to the World Series, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of starters pitching out of the bullpen too. Yes, yes, and again, that's you know that's Dombrowski's mo. Frontline starters, middle of the road, middle of the order bats, stars, and just kind of, you know, what's funny is for as much attention, I mean, that was obviously the, I don't know, was that the biggest play of the Red Sox postseason that year in 2013 when Ortiz hit that grand slam? I mean, it had to be. I mean, the yeah. Tigers, mm-hmm. the Tigers thought they were coming back home to nothing. Right. And they were going to have Verlander. And I don't know who the fourth guy was. Maybe it was Doug Fister back then. Yeah. But. I mean, they just, that that home run just ripped the heart out of them. But mm-hmm. I I think it's also interesting to note that you know to me the big the big at bat in that whole situation is when they didn't have a lefty reliever 
And Jim Leland had to bring in Drew Smiley, who was a starting pitcher all season. And he had that lefty-on-lefty matchup with Ellsbury, and he walked him. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that was with one out or two outs. Um, that was a big that was a big kind of domino there. Red Sox season is well underway, and even though it's not really going the way any of us would have envisioned, you still might want to get in on the action. You're not a major leaguer, so you're not going to be playing, so I have another way for you. That's to log on to betonline.ag. That's AG as in Attorney General, and that is CLNS Media's preferred online sportsbook. You can grab the odds and allow the experts there to do the heavy lifting for you with sports, live betting, a virtual casino, anything you could want, they have it. If you want to support our podcast while logging on there, you can go to clnsmedia.com backslash SoxBeat, that's S-O-X-B-E-A-T, and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus, CLNS50. You can go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today. It's betonline.ag. You can try in-game live betting, participate with the, all the action, and follow every play. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. But all right, let's go. Let's go back. Let's let's fast forward six years. Um, okay. I think the two the two guys you should pay attention to, um, obviously Shane Green. He's got mm-hmm. like 500 saves this year so far, <laughs> ten to be exact. Um, mm-hmm. Waiting to hear back from Elias Sports Bureau on how many guys in Major League history have saved each and every one of a team's first 10 wins. It, it can't um, be many. Yeah. Um, look, Green, he's a closer on the Tigers, but I, you know, I think that he follows a similar trade trajectory to that of Justin Wilson a couple of years ago. He's mm-hmm. a closer on the Tigers, but let's say the Red Sox or another contending team who would be interested in him at the deadline, I think they'd be looking at him more as a seventh, eighth inning kind of guy. Yep. Um, I think, I think you could put him in the eighth inning, especially given his closer. He he's got a closer's mentality. I know that there's mm-hmm. a faction of um, baseball fans who don't really kind of believe in that stuff. I tend to. Um, the Red Sox don't he, even care about it this year because they they haven't named a closer. Um, kind of going back and forth based on leverage between Barnes and Brazier. So um, definitely a guy if he's if he has the ability to save games that could fit. That's interesting. I mean, maybe he could even close, but mm-hmm. he's one guy. Um, he's just he's improved against lefty hitters. That was his big Achilles heel last year was serving up the long ball to lefties, and that was the the, the result of I don't know six or seven blown saves. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really he's really sharpened up his slider this year, and that's been noticeable. And then you know the the second guy that. A lot of Tigers fans are hesitant to talk about him in trade rumors, but um, I've been given indications that the team is gonna gonna make Joe Jimenez available uh, at the mm-hmm. deadline this year. And I, I just think it comes down to will it, does a team think that he's better than the Tigers do? Are they willing to kind of aid this rebuilding process with some more um, prospects? What I've heard is they're looking for like a young young position player in that mix, but Jimenez has struggled. I mean, yeah. for the first week to 10 days of the season, they were winning all these close ball games, and it was like all they had to do, the starting pitchers, was get a bridge to Jimenez and Green. But Jimenez, mm-hmm. although he's gotten the job done more times than not, he's been shaky, and outside of his last appearance, they, they had to take him out of the setup man role. 
just to yep. get his confidence back. I mean, the, he came in against the Pirates a few days ago, and he was getting ahead of guys, and 0-2 to Starling Marte, then hit him up head up in the head with a fastball. Um, but he had two really bad outings in a row where he was chased in the eighth, walking guys, and I just think it's a mechanical it's a mechanical issue with him. He's he's too quick. He's flying open. All those cliches you hear, but you can kind of see it if you if you yeah. train your eyes on him mm-hmm. um, on the mound. So obviously for him to to rebuild that trade value, he's going to have to get back in that eighth inning role. Some people look at him as a closer of the future. I'm not going to go that far just yet. We just haven't seen it at the major league level. Um, but I do think that especially for a team like the Red Sox who have so many high-priced players and they're looking for, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it would probably help them if they got a, um, let's say, a controllable piece or two to kind of yeah, aid in this sure. in, in going forward. I think that he's a very interesting guy because he's still got mm-hmm. four or five years of team control left. He was an all-star last year. There's more in there. He just hasn't tapped uh, tapped into it. So... Green and Jimenez would be my two guys. Maybe even a guy like Drew Verhagen. Um, mm-hmm. He's been injured a lot, but you just never know with the way the, the relief market's going to shake out. And I do think that you have to kind of keep an eye on at least a couple of these guys because Dombrowski has ties with them. He knows right. He's he either drafted them or signed over. them or right. Um, but the biggest the biggest additions to me would be like a guy like Shane Green and Joe Jimenez. Mm-hmm. And, and Green's really doing a good job of building up his value. Uh, he didn't really have that great of a year last year. They, they'd like to move him. I think, you know, when you talk about Dombrowski and, and with Green, uh, I mean, remember Green was traded from the Yankees, is that right? Yes. In the in the three-way deal... Was it Gregorius, I think? What? It was Gregorius to the... Yeah, all right. Gregorius I, goes to the Yankees, Green goes to the Tigers, Shane, and Robbie Ray is the Robbie big piece Ray. to go to Arizona. Yeah. Robbie Ray goes to Arizona. You want to know a quick story? Mm-hmm. So the Dombrowski story, it's, it's good for this pod. It is a, it is a Dombrowski story. Um, Dombrowski was highly criticized when the Tigers traded. Gosh, who was it? Was it, did they trade Fister to Washington? I think it, I, I think it was Doug Fister and um, for Robbie Ray, wasn't it? Yeah. And like Lombardozzi and, uh, someone else but Robbie Ray was didn't was, you break was, that trade I did break that trade yeah that was like I their did. coming out party that that offseason yeah so of course I remember that uh Robbie Ray was in it okay so that so that <laughs> Robbie Ray for uh Doug Fister trade didn't sit well with the Tigers fan base they really yeah. loved Doug Fister it um, looked like a fleecing at the time too yeah they really loved Doug Fister uh salt in the salt of the earth kind of guy mm-hmm. so this was before I was on the beat. I think two years before I was on the beat, but I was still doing. I was still kind of like the free press utility man. So if they had yep. a big, they had a big press conference. I'd the Brock Holt of the free press at that point. Yes, the Brock Holt of the free press. Yeah. Um, at least I'm not the Blake Swihart of the free press. Or I wouldn't <laughs> be on this podcast. With you. <laughs> you, so, you'd never get a chance. So, the, so, so Dombrowski got roasted. The Tigers got roasted for this, and um, there was this guy that was really giving him some crap on the. Uh, on the in the in the press conference and essentially challenging Dabrowski and Dabrowski pulled out a he pulled out a sheet of paper like a little little sheet of paper from inside his jacket and he said look here are the starting pitchers that we identified and this is the one we could get um it's funny because years later I think that trade has become more than justified you know I mean Robbie Ray's turned into a pretty darn good pitcher with the with Mm -hmm. the Diamondbacks 
Um, but it was just the way that Dabrowski went into his jacket and pulled out the list. <laughs> Look, there's not, you know, there's not many more prepared GMs than Dabrowski mm-hmm. is. I mean, he's on his P's and Q's when it comes to that. At the time, yeah. though, Fister was like a fan favorite, and you're like, what? The, the Tigers were still competing. Like, what the heck are they doing here? Steve mm-hmm. Lombardozzi, that's a good name. And Ian Kroll was the third one. I just looked it up. So, yeah. I think, you know, you talk about Dombrowski. He is a guy who's very on top of things and you know, haven't covered him for for now almost a year. I've seen that. He made a couple big trades with Evaldi um, that turned into a big trade. Steve Pierce was a small trade that also turned into a big trade with the World Series MVP. But kind of the way he handles his business, people have said he's a tough negotiator, a really good one, and he's a guy that commands respect throughout the business. I think, you know, in, in Detroit, he built a perennial contender that never – really got over that threshold and the bullpen was a big part of that at times, but just want to kind of get from you among the tigers, not just internally, but, but the fan base, how is the reaction to Dombrowski going to Boston, winning a world series, not just, you know, by himself, but bringing last year, JD Martinez, Rick Porcello, David Price, and Ian Kinsler, four guys who were big pieces of tigers contenders. What is the reaction that, you know, those guys were able to do it all together, but not there. I think uh, I think it was more of like, you know, when you get a, I don't know, let's say a promotion, it was just like, really, Boston? Yeah. Um, especially after the way 2013 went down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we look back at that as the best Tigers team of that era. Yeah. Um, you know, the first two Tigers teams were pretty good, too. I mean, 06 and 12, but they... They faced, and far be it for me to make excuses for them, but they faced some difficulties going into the World Series because they had, like, weak layoffs in between. Like, in 06, yeah. the Cardinals and Mets went to Game 7. Right. They swept the A's. In 12, uh, the Cardinals and Giants went to, like, 6 or 7, and they swept either the A's or the Yankees. So they had time to sit around, and at that stage of the season, I think it's kind of a, a real bad time because – you know, if you look at the Major League Baseball season in general, the, the most days off these guys get is over the All-Star break, and it's like four days. Mm-hmm. So then you're in the most important time of the year, and you got a week off. So they had some darn good teams in Detroit, but I think that 13 team and the way they lost to Boston really kind of put a sour taste in their mouth. Um, I, I, I do think that now that the Tigers are in a rebuilding process, um, I think the – I don't want to say – let's just say the success that Dombrowski had in Detroit, because look, even though they didn't win the world series, this was the most prosperous stretch of baseball in their history. The way they would go mm-hmm. to the ALCS every year, the world series and big time stars, the whole thing. Yep. Oh, big time stars. I mean, Miguel Cabrera, triple crown, Justin Verlander mm-hmm. winning the American league, triple, triple crown and, um, in pitching. See now though, that, you know, the, the, any frustrations they might've had with Dombrowski in the bullpen, um, those pale in comparison to coming to the ball, like watching these guys on a daily basis and not knowing half the team and facing mm-hmm. this three, four, perhaps even five year rebuilding project. Yeah. Um, I think that you're spot on about Dombrowski being uh, a tough guy, tough negotiator, even a tough guy to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's very demanding in, in, in what he does. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is whatever he's done in his career, I mean, after winning the World Series last year, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I think there's really that any, any question about that. Uh, 
winning with the Marlins and then and then the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I went to I went to Cleveland last September. I don't know if you were there. I was. Um, yep. You were. Yeah, you mm-hmm. were. Uh, I went to Cleveland last September just because, you know, the Tiger season was winding down and I saw all these guys from Detroit that were in Boston. So I went there to do a playoff preview. And I, I, I guess from my perspective, and you, you're going into your second full season, well, once you get to start to know these guys a little bit um, and their backgrounds and what they've gotten through, at least when these guys are playing on on Boston – I'm I'm kind of mm-hmm. rooting for that team, so I, I I wrote a story that said, "Hey, this is the team you guys should be rooting for because they yeah. got guys like Kinsler and JD and Price and all not necessarily Dombrowski, but Porcello mm-hmm. who who always got so close. So right. I, I was definitely rooting for them uh, in the postseason. I don't think the the Tigers fan base was though because I think they looked at it as if we can't get our World Series, we don't want them we we don't want Dombrowski to get another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain guys like JD was a huge fan favorite. I think yeah. any Tigers fans will crap. They might even be rooting for him during this week because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the games just don't really matter much early in the season for the Tigers. But I will say that the start that they've gotten off to, um, which is 500, pretty respectable, especially the first week of the season. Um, that helps, especially from a reporting perspective, because we don't yeah. know if we, we we didn't know if that was going to come all season long. Um, mm-hmm. So it, this is going to be a tough test for the Tigers, and I think they could be just what the, the Red Sox are looking for. 